couch thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week we've got your viewing guide for week six to set up what is kind of an interesting day maybe a little bit of an uneven day in the world of college football and then we're going to take a look around the country we're going to look at a few different things kind of some trends that i'm seeing uh, from around the nation and then finally we're going to do a deep dive probably the deepest dive we've done all year on the Georgia-Auburn game coming up this weekend in Sanford Stadium. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. I hope you enjoy the show. We will start this week the way we start every week with our Week 6 viewing guide. Uh, I looked, there are some games on Friday night. There's a Nebraska-Rutgers game uh, that maybe if you're just, you know, really hard up for some football that you could watch. But really, there's nothing happening on Friday night that I think is must-see, which leads us into the way I said it just a second ago, a little bit of an uneven day in college football. So the noon time slot I think has multiple games that are very interesting for multiple reasons, headlined by the ESPN game at noon, number eight, Tennessee on the road at LSU, number 25 LSU this week. Uh, Tennessee, a top 10 team. They're a week away from playing Alabama in Knoxville, uh, and LSU is very angry that this game is kicking off at 11 a.m. Central time. So they like playing at night. Uh, This is about as not night as you can get. So that game follows game day right after uh, the the headgear pick. Hopefully Lee Corso is back this week. And uh, we get to see the headgear pick, and then we'll go straight to Baton Rouge for Tennessee LSU, which I think that's going to be a very interesting game. Really the the first – big test for Tennessee uh, to see if, you know, on the road to see if they're as good as advertised. I mean, they are number eight in the country right now. They are undefeated. They are in tie for first place of the SEC East. They are a legitimate contender, not just for the SEC East, but for the SEC. And if you're a contender for the SEC, then you're a contender for the college football playoff. And as crazy as that sounds, at this point in the season, Tennessee's still there. So that's probably the best game at noon. Uh, You also have on FS1, number 17, TCU at number 19, Kansas. This is where game day is going to be this week. Going to be in Lawrence, Kansas for the first time ever. I think uh, Cinderella is, is, it's going to strike midnight on Cinderella. Kansas is decent. I'm not saying they're going to lose the rest of their games and go five and seven, but I think TCU showed against Oklahoma that they are a very good team. And I think they'll go on the road to Lawrence and probably take care of Kansas pretty easily. Arkansas, Mississippi state is your sec network noon game. Number 23, Mississippi state as they've played footsie with the top 25 for the first few weeks of the season. The Razorbacks are coming off back-to-back heartbreaking losses, a tough loss two weeks ago against uh, Arkansas. And then if you just see the final score against Auburn or Alabama last week, you may think that game was never close. Halftime, it wasn't close. At the end of the game, it wasn't close. But there was a moment. (laughs) There was a moment in uh, the third quarter where they had the – well, they didn't have the ball. They were down five, and uh, Alabama was – 
faced with a third and long situation. Uh, and then it all fell apart for Arkansas. So Sam Pittman's guys on the road at Mississippi State. That's going to be a tough game to go on the road uh, and try to avoid three straight losses all in the division. So things uh, were starting out so well for Arkansas, not looking so great now. On ESPNU, you get Missouri at Florida. Missouri obviously scared the living daylights out of me and most Georgia fans last week. Now the Tigers go on the road to play Florida. Anthony Richardson is his good Richardson, bad Richardson. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. And then what should or typically would be the marquee game of uh, the noontime slot on this Saturday in October, the Red River Rivalry. Texas and OU over on ABC. We'll talk about this game a little bit more later, but that game is uh, a matchup of two unranked teams going into this one, so that's why not exactly the uh, the big game that you would normally see out of those two programs. So five different games that I think is probably worth keeping an eye on in the noon slot. Uh, 3.30, eh, maybe not so much, just two games. You're Again, as we always do, Georgia uh, is the kind of the central focus of this podcast so Auburn at Georgia on CBS that is number two Georgia this week um, that's the uh, lead-in game to the big night game for CBS so if you're watching from home you're not going to have to listen to Gary Danielson uh, as he will be in Tuscaloosa calling the Alabama game uh, there's another game on though at 330 that I think's worth keeping an eye on Utah we forgot about Utah because they lost to Florida in week one in the swamp but they have risen back up to number 11 in the country and they are on the road at UCLA who is 18th this week UCLA just whipped Washington last week uh, and so that is a, a an important game in the Pac-12 uh, and we'll see if either one of those teams can kind of get on a run and establish an option uh, other than USC in the Pac-12. So only a couple of games at 3.30 worth keeping an eye on. Uh, at 7.30, you've got number five Clemson on the road at Boston College. That game is on ABC. That's an interesting game for me because Clemson has really done a very good job the last two weeks going uh, on the road, I believe, at Wake Forest and winning in double overtime. Then last week, a big win over NC State and kind of establishing dominance in the conference. I'm looking to make sure Clemson doesn't have a letdown game here. After those two big wins, if you look now, kind of project the rest of their schedule, they are in the driver's seat, not just for the ACC, uh, but potentially to get back to the college football playoff. Their schedule really opens up. You know, before the season, you looked at that schedule and you thought if they could get through those two games, Wake and NC State, the Notre Dame game was still looming out there in November, but with Notre Dame struggling the way they have, that doesn't seem like the same kind of test. So, uh, Clemson schedule, take a look at it. Very favorable uh, for the rest of the season. So this Boston College game, maybe catch them on just a little bit of a lull. I, Boston College is not very good, but uh, you never know. So that game is one I'm keeping an eye on. South Carolina at Kentucky on the SEC Network. Kentucky coming off a tough loss last week on the road at Ole Miss, a game that for all intents and purposes they should have won. South Carolina Nothing going so far on this season, nothing to be, you know, really excited about, but going on the road at Kentucky, that would be interesting to see if they can uh if they can put a scare into the Wildcats. And then I mentioned Notre Dame a minute ago, over on A B or NBC, excuse me, number sixteen BYU goes to Notre Dame. You'll see what I'm saying about the uneven day. Just those games are on TV, so you should watch them. But none of them are super exciting. 
and neither is the CBS waste of the week or of the year. CBS two weeks ago picks the the A and M and Alabama game to be their night game of the year. Now I'm looking down the road. Okay, I'm looking down the road and I see that in the first week of November, Tennessee comes to Athens, and Yes, Tennessee has to play Alabama before that game, but even a one-loss Tennessee would be coming to Athens with an opportunity to win the SEC East if they beat Georgia because they would hold the tiebreaker. I don't see how – there's a lot of other games on the schedule, but I don't see how this is the game that they pick. Just because Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban fussed each other in the offseason, nothing I have seen out of A&M makes me think this is going to be a competitive game. And it doesn't matter who the quarterback is for Alabama. Alabama is so much more talented. They don't have to throw a pass in this game, in my opinion. Jameer Gibbs is good enough to take direct snaps and win the game by himself, um, mainly just because A&M can't score. And and Max Johnson looks like he, he may be out for the season. He, he definitely seems out for this week. So now you're going backward on the death chart. Um, I it, I don't know what CBS was thinking, but you're going to get a lot of Jimbo Fisher. You're going to get a lot of Nick Saban because they're going to have to manufacture a story because I think this game's going to be over at halftime. So that is your week six viewing guide. A lot to start your day with, and it kind of dwindles after that. Um, you know, maybe one of these night games ends up being kind of interesting, but if, if there was ever a Saturday, you might be able to get in bed by 10 o'clock. This could potentially be it. Moving on, we want to take a quick look around the nation. Um, Another week and another coach fired. This is absolutely unprecedented. Um, I mean, maybe something happened in the 90s or or the 80s or something that I'm not remembering. But uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin of all places, the most very happy with 9-3 and team that you could ever think of. Uh, They fired Paul Chris, their coach, this week after getting uh, out Wisconsin by Illinois and former Wisconsin coach Brett Bielema. Uh, So Wisconsin has promoted Jim Leonard, who was already on their staff as their interim coach. All the indications and reports seem to say that Jim Leonard's the guy that they want to take the job, but they don't want to just hand it over to him. So the reason for firing Paul Chris was to see if Jim Leonard could kind of turn the ship around or if if he's not the fit to give them an opportunity to be ready to go in the offseason and find the next head coach. But when you factor in Wisconsin, now you've got Nebraska, Wisconsin, Arizona State, and Tech who have all fired their coaches early in this college football season. We're not even halfway through the season at this point. Uh, This is absolutely crazy. Uh, In the NIL era, in the transfer portal era, I I don't know what is going on, but it seems that the trigger is really, really quick to pull, to, to, to get rid of these coaches. And I don't think this is, we're going to keep seeing this, not just in future years. It's going to keep happening. Brian Harson's time at Auburn is on an egg timer. It could be up as early as Sunday. Maybe he lasts another week or two, but Brian Harson is going to be fired at some point during this season because sooner or later, Auburn's going to feel the pressure. They know they're not keeping him. There are reports out there right now that he's already been told he's not coming back. I cannot believe that is the case, um, but He's not going to be back next year, and all it's going to take is just one just really lousy performance for them to say, okay, what must be done eventually must be done immediately. Let's fire this guy, and let's start 
talking or looking around or talking to agents or whatever happens to try to get Auburn to the front of the line because I think Nebraska, Wisconsin, those are good jobs. Arizona State, not so much. I talked last week about the challenges that Tech faces, and then, of course, they went out and beat Pitt on the road last week. Um, But I think Auburn being an SEC job, there's a lot of things that would make that an attractive position. But you also – you have to wonder – in the modern version of the SEC, with Nick Saban still at Alabama, with Kirby Smart building what he's building at Georgia, and with the depth in coaching. I mean, you, you, you think about Mississippi State has a really good coach. Ole Miss has a good coach. Arkansas seems to be pretty happy with their coach. Kentucky's thrilled to death with their coach. There's a lot of really good coaches, really good recruiters in the Southeastern Conference right now. And as such, I, I just don't know if Auburn's going to be able to go out and get their pick of whoever they want. That's how they ended up with Brian Harson to start with. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the, the next few weeks. I do think once you get to November, you may see this kind of tail off until the end of the season. But it's been crazy that every single week we've seen a Power 5 coach get fired. And uh, it, it seems, you know, outside of Harson, I don't know of anybody else or there doesn't seem to be reports that anybody else would be, you know, immediately or imminently fired. Uh, but at this point, I, I don't think you can take anything for granted. Anything could happen. Next, we learned a lesson in Columbia, Missouri last Saturday night, and that's that uh, everybody's beatable. There, there's nobody. You saw what Alabama did on the road at Texas. You saw what Georgia did on the road at Missouri. We haven't really seen Ohio State struggle just yet, but frankly, we haven't seen Ohio State get to the competitive part of their schedule yet. It's going to be very, very interesting. You know, I, I talked about Clemson earlier. I think they, at this point, may be the team that I have the most faith in potentially going undefeated for the rest of the season. That's less about the top-end capability of Clemson, maybe a little bit more about the just the, the schedule and my perceived uh, weakness that uh, of the ACC. But Georgia is a good team. Georgia's not a perfect team. Alabama seems to be a good team, but they are not a perfect team. And both of those teams have a lot on their schedule left. You know, obviously Ohio State still has to play Michigan. Uh, still has to play Penn State. Uh, those games could go either way. Penn State and, and Michigan still in the you know at the top of the the rankings. USC, I I don't feel like they can run the table in their first year under Lincoln Riley. So it feels like everybody's beatable. That doesn't mean everybody's going to get beat. But what Georgia showed in Columbia is it doesn't take much for a team to believe, especially if they're playing at home for a team to believe that they can to make one of these huge upsets. And it took a long time for Georgia to get back in that game. It really, really did. And if Georgia can play that kind of game, if Alabama can play the game it played against Texas, uh, everybody in the world of college football is beatable this year. Speaking of the Longhorns, let's button up our look around the nation, talking just a bit about Red River. Uh, I've always really enjoyed this game. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I'm not going to get to watch any if or very little, if any, of this game because I'm, I'm going to the Georgia-Auburn game, and that game's at 3.30, so I, I don't know how much of Red River I'll see. But other than Georgia games, there was no game that I watched last year that was just more fun than Red River. 
Texas jumped out early all over OU. Caleb Williams came in in the second half and pulled out just an absolutely fantastic win. But it was just an awesome game to watch. This year's version does not seem like it's going to have the the star power, maybe. Um, but there is reports at this point that Quinn Ewers, the quarterback who played so well early in the game against Alabama before getting injured, could potentially be back for this game. The only way I see the game being competitive is if that's not the case. Because if Ewers is back and he plays the way he did against Alabama, uh, I think Texas is going to absolutely smoke Oklahoma and hand them their third straight loss. Because Oklahoma and Brent Venables have a problem, and it's called defense, which is insane because Venables was the defensive coordinator at Clemson for all of those years. Coach, God knows how many first-round draft picks did a wonderful job with that Clemson defense that was, the, you know, it's, it, for all of the Deshaun Watson um, and and just the positive things that happened, Trevor Lawrence, all the positive, you know, you had C.J. Spiller long ago, ETN. They've had weapons on offense, obviously, but that defense is what has made them, or what in their heyday made them so tough because they had a lot of talent, especially on that defensive line. It's amazing that a Brent Venables coach team could be as bad defensively as OU has been the last couple of weeks, but they got run all over by Kansas State at home, and then last week they got absolutely destroyed by TCU. And that's not to take anything away from Kansas State or TCU, but Oklahoma's supposed to just be better. They're getting ready to come into the SEC probably in 2024. They better figure out some defense because it doesn't matter what the scheduling you know, dynamics are in the SEC. If you play defense like that, you're not going to win very many games. So their introduction into the SEC is going to be very, very difficult for Brent Venables and his uh, staff. It He may not even be there if they keep this up. I, I think OU is on the road to a very, very rough game or season here. And the key to this game is going to be Quinn Ewers. A, is he healthy enough to play? B, if he does play, is he healthy enough to be effective? So that's my look around the nation this week. Let's turn our attention to Georgia and Auburn, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. To me, this game is what makes college football different than every other American sport. The Deep South's oldest rivalry, Georgia and Auburn, played for the first time in 1892. Saturday will be the 127th time these two teams have played each other. Georgia leads the all-time series 62-56-8. Auburn has the biggest win in the pro in, in the series. Back in 1900, Auburn shut out the Dogs 44-0. That's the biggest win in the series history. Georgia has the longest streak in the series history from 1923 to 1931 Georgia won nine straight games and the dogs have won five straight going back to the SEC championship game in 2017 so just a little bit of the big history I want to kind of run through some of the notable games from the past 30 40 years um just you know the first one that comes to mind when I think about Georgia and Auburn is one that I was not alive for 1982 Look at the sugar falling from the sky. If you are a Georgia fan, it's Auburn week. You've got to go somewhere. You've got to go to YouTube. You've got to find the audio and just live the last 
five minutes of the Georgia-Auburn game from 1982 when Georgia was trying to win the SEC and make it back to the Sugar Bowl and have a chance to win the national championship. You've got to listen to that clip. It's, in my opinion, as great. I mean, the 1980 run, Lindsey, run, that's great. You know, hobnail boot, that's great. Nothing shows the just the absolute passion of Larry Munson and defines what it is to be a fan of the University of Georgia. Like, look at the sugar falling out of the sky. Because that was the end of just a uh, just a plead, an, an absolute begging of Georgia's team to hunker down one more time. Just a beautiful, I'm getting chills just sitting here talking about it. So 1982, look at the sugar falling out of the sky. Georgia goes on the road to Auburn, clinches the SEC by stopping Bo Jackson and the Tigers uh, and, and makes it back to the Sugar Bowl. Didn't win that Sugar Bowl, didn't win that national championship, but uh, it was a great game and, a, and just a legendary call. 1996, the first overtime game in the history of the Southeastern Conference. Georgia beat Auburn again on the Plains, 56-49 in double overtime. 2002, that was a night I, I remember very well. Georgia wins the SEC East for the first time. David Green to Michael Johnson in the back corner of the end zone, 24-21, Georgia win. Uh, 2006, that was the first time I, well, I guess it was the second time. We're not going to talk about 2005. Uh, well, I've done it. 31-30, Auburn broke my fat heart in Sanford Stadium that night. Georgia was a play away on fourth and what ended up being 46 or 64. It doesn't matter. It was fourth and long. Georgia was a play away from clinching the East and uh, punching their ticket to the SEC championship game in 2005. They would get it done the next week against Kentucky and, and 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 would be able to make that SEC title game. But Auburn hits a long play downfield, runs the clock out, and kicks a field goal to win 31-30 in Sanford Stadium. And that sucked. Uh, so let's talk about something happier. The very next year, uh, we are at Auburn. We are unranked. We are rebuilding with Matthew Stafford and that whole crew. But Georgia goes on the road and beats number five Auburn 37-15. Uh, it was an awesome day, except for it rained a little bit in the second half, and I was wearing jeans, so that was a little bit uncomfortable. But outside of that, just an awesome day uh, to see Georgia upset Auburn in person was was awesome. And then the very next year, we talk about 2005, a great game. 2006, not necessarily a great game, but it was a great memory for me. 2007 was the blackout game here in Athens. Uh, Georgia 45, Auburn 20. 2010. That's uh, a, not a, a year that Georgia fans are going to want to remember, but that's Cam Newton uh, and, and dominating the dogs in uh, or at Auburn that year. Nick Fairley almost killed Aaron Murray that night as uh, Auburn beat Georgia 49-31 on, on their way to the national championship. 2012, I was actually at this game again. Gene Chizik, uh, his last stand as Auburn, two years after winning the national championship under Chizik, they would fire Gene Chizik after Georgia beat Auburn 38 to nothing at Auburn. Uh, and that put Auburn at 0-8 in the SEC. Amy and I had a lot of fun that day uh, being on the plains and eating pimento cheese and watching the dogs absolutely destroy the Tigers. The very next year was back 
in Auburn because Auburn whines and cries anything anytime they think something doesn't go their way. So we had back-to-back games against Auburn at Auburn to try to fix the scheduling problem they had. Um, and that ended up being the prayer of Jordan Hare where Auburn won 43-38 late in that game. Aaron Murray doing everything he possibly could to win that game and, and just coming up just a little bit short because of Trey Matthews being an absolute idiot and not just batting the ball down. 2017, um, at Auburn, number one, Georgia. A couple weeks after being number one for the first time in my lifetime, the dogs go into Jordan Hare and get absolutely demolished by number 10, Auburn, 40-17. to 17. That was a rough night. Uh, but Georgia would get an opportunity three weeks later in the SEC Championship game for some rem- a rematch and some revenge. That was the run-swift run game, 28-7, as Georgia punched their ticket to the college football playoff for the first time and ended up heading to the Rose Bowl. So this is the first time since 2016 that both teams don't come into this game ranked. Obviously, Georgia moved from number one to number two, but Auburn comes into this game unranked. The last time it happened was actually Kirby's first year in 2016. Georgia was unranked and hosted Auburn that day, uh, but beat number seven Auburn 13-7 to in Athens. I do not believe this game is going to be that low scoring, at least not for Georgia. Uh, last year, the Dogs went on the road and beat uh, Bo Nix and Auburn 34-10 at Auburn. Since 2000, Georgia has really dominated this series, 16-7 and versus Auburn in that time period. I want to take a second and just talk about the Auburn program a little bit. And to me, the modern history of Auburn football changed the night that Auburn beat number one Georgia. It was November 11, 2017. That, as I said a second ago, number 10 Auburn, good team that year, but just absolutely destroyed Georgia. And after the game, a mic on the field picks up Gus Malzahn saying, we beat the dog crap out of them, didn't we? Now, two weeks after that night, Auburn would host Alabama, beat them. Again, another number one team in the country. Alabama moved to number one after Georgia lost to Auburn. Alabama comes in two weeks after Georgia, loses. Auburn punches their ticket to the SEC championship game by winning the SEC West. They go into that game as number two, and nothing has been the same for this program since that night. Georgia beat Auburn in the SEC title game, and Auburn would go on and lose to uh, would lose to UCF in that same building in the Peach Bowl uh, before, right before Georgia would actually play in the Rose Bowl and ultimately beat Oklahoma in that epic game and head to the national championship. That dog crap comment was the beginning of the end for Gus Malzahn, and really has set Auburn on a trajectory that has had them replace Tennessee as the dumpster fire in the SEC. Auburn lost that Peach Bowl, finished 10th in the AP poll that year after being number two, after beating number one twice in that season. 2018, Auburn finished unranked 8-5. 2019, they finished ranked 14th, but they were 9-4. and four. 2020 is the COVID year, but Auburn goes six and five and lost to South Carolina and Northwestern in that season. It finished the season unranked. After the 2020 COVID season, that's when they fire Gus Malzahn. They pay him a lot of money to go away. 
they they go on a search. They talk to a lot of people. They get turned down by everybody and their brother who used them to get a raise. And they end up hiring Boise State's head coach, Brian Harson. Last year was Harson's first season. Auburn goes six and seven. But it wasn't just that they went six and seven. I mean, six and seven is bad. That's a losing season. They lost their bowl game again. They lost to Houston in the bowl game. But the worst part was they lost their last five games of the season. They were six and two at one point last season and ended at six and seven. So in the offseason last year, I'm not going to get into a lot of the details, but the boosters at Auburn or people around the Auburn program, unnamed sources, right? People around the Auburn program started floating the rumor that Brian Harson was having an affair with a staffer. And the picture was circulated of a real person. This person is a staffer. But basically, they just started this rumor trying to figure out a way that if they could catch him in doing something wrong or they could get him uh, implicated in doing something wrong, abusing his power as head football coach at Auburn, that he would maybe quit or they would maybe be able to fire him for cause and get rid of him and not have to pay a big buyout because they're still paying Gus Malzahn. It doesn't work. Harson beats back all of this pressure, denies all of the rumors. It comes out that it was all fabricated. There was no truth to it. Auburn does the investigation to find all of that out. And so the offseason was just mired by the fact that he could not, he couldn't legitimately go into any recruits' living room and say, hey, you got to come to Auburn. It's a great place. It's so great. They're starting rumors about me. It, it cut his legs out from underneath him in recruiting. He wasn't doing a great job recruiting to begin with, and this didn't help. So all of that baggage is what he drug into this 2022 season, and it has not gone well. They beat Mercer 42-16 to start the season, but then the second game of the year, they beat San Jose State 24-16. They lost the very next week 41-12 at home against Penn State. Two weeks ago, they play in Missouri again at home. They managed to win the game 17-14 in overtime, but Missouri, whose kicker just kicked the living crap out of the ball last week against Georgia, he missed a chip shot field goal to win the game in regulation, and then the Missouri running back dropped the ball as he was going into the end zone in overtime with a, a score that would have won the game. So uh, Missouri basically handed that game to Auburn. And then last week, hosting LSU, up 17 to nothing in the first half, Auburn manages to lose 21-17 at home. Now, if you heard a trend as I was talking about that, Auburn is 3-2 and two so far on this season, and they have played five home games. The trip to Athens this weekend to play number two Georgia is their first road game of the season. So I don't have thousands of people living listening to this podcast, but anybody that does, if you are at the game this weekend, and maybe you were also at the game two weeks ago when we played Kent State, I was there too. That was a very sleepy crowd. That was a quiet crowd. That was not a hostile environment. This Auburn team is not good, and they've not played on the road. This needs to be a hostile environment on Saturday and really, really get in the head of these Auburn Tigers who have not had this experience yet. Auburn's remaining schedule is an absolute gauntlet of death. They're on the road at Georgia this week, 
Georgia number two. Next week on the road at Ole Miss, Ole Miss number nine. Then they host Arkansas. They go on the road at Mississippi State. They host Texas A&M. They go. They host Western Kentucky before going on the road to number one Alabama. So as the the rankings currently stand, they they still play in the next six weeks or seven weeks, excuse me, number one, number two, number nine, and number 23. I don't know when they're going to fire Brian Harson. I know they're going to fire him. I don't know how badly they're going to end up on this season, but they lost their last five games last year. Thank God for Western Kentucky, because when I look at that, UGA, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, A&M, and Alabama, if you told me they lost every single one of those games, I would not be shocked at all. I think there is a very decent chance they end this season 4-8 and eight after, at least at one point in the season, being 3-1. and one. So, Auburn has got a lot of problems. Part of their problems we're going to talk about right now uh, is off the field. We talked about those. Harson is a problem. They're not happy with him. They hired him. They're not happy with him. They want him gone. He's doing the best he possibly can, but he never should have been hired to do this job. So they have off-field drama. They have scandal. They have all this crap. After running a pretty good coach in Gus Malzahn, a guy that beat Nick Saban three times, you know this weekend's big CBS game of the week is all because Jimbo beat Saban one time. Beat him last year and then started running his mouth about it. Gus beat Nick Saban three times. And yet they ran him out of town. And they go hire Brian Harson, who had never recruited the way you have to recruit in the SEC, had never coached the way you have to coach in the SEC. And it's just not a fit for this job. And they're so angry that they hired him. They try to run him out of town on a fake scandal. It's an absolute dumpster fire. It's an embarrassment at Auburn off the field. And on the field, it's not much better. Because after firing Gus, they lost a lot of guys. I talked about the fact that Harson he didn't, as most coaches don't, when you come in the first year, uh, your first recruiting class not very good. Last year's recruiting class was absolute trash. They, If they did not have Tank Bisbee, this team could lose a lot of games. They are very lucky that he dipped his toe in that transfer portal last year and decided to stay. Because if he wasn't on this team, the amount of talent on this team would be reduced by half because half of the talent on this team belongs to Tank Bigsby. Their starting quarterback, T.J. Finley, who was not very good, got injured. They're lucky that he did because his replacement, Robbie Ashford, actually better statistically than Finley was. He's got 700 yards passing so far on the season, about a 54% completion percentage, which is not very good. Three touchdowns, three interceptions. He's been sacked eight times. But he's also carried the ball 50 times for 223 yards and a touchdown. So it's not just the pass game with Robbie Ashford that you got to keep an eye on. He is a true dual-threat quarterback, and Georgia's going to have to account for him uh, on scrambles. They're going to have to account for him when he gets out of the pocket and the ability to extend plays. Now, his throwing accuracy when he's in those positions, not very good, but it's still something that has to be accounted for. I talked about Tank Bigsby, 69 carries, 326 yards. That's 4.7 yards per carry. That is not insanely impressive, but when he's running behind this crap offensive line that Auburn has, it's pretty impressive. Four touchdowns on the year for Tank. Um, 
Jarquez Hunter is their second back. He is a he's kind of a big hitter, 34 carries, 139, uh, four touchdowns on the year. Couple of their receivers, even though um, th- their offense is kind of strange, they 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 hit big plays in the passing game. Okay, so Javarius Johnson is their number one receiver. 16 catches for 305 yards. That's an average of 20 yards per catch. Uh, Coy Moore, 10 catches, 155 yards on the season. Again, 15 yards per catch. They're tied in. John Samuel Schinker, 12 catches, 147 yards. That's about 12 yards a catch. So they get big chunk plays in the passing game, but they don't get a lot of completions in the passing game so basically when they make a completion it's probably going to be for some chunk yardage um the biggest surprise as i was doing my research on auburn because i I can't say i watched the, the auburn and penn state game uh but there wasn't a whole lot to notice about auburn that day other than uh they were really embarrassed at home anders carlson feels like he's been at auburn for 725 years he's still there he's kicking He's 13 to 13 uh, on extra points and five for seven on field goals this year. But he's a weapon. He's a very good kicker. And Lord knows I made fun of Mevis last week because he had played so poorly against Auburn and missing the game winning kick. And what did he do but go out and hit five for five against Georgia uh, and including like a 56 yarder or something disgusting like that. So uh, I will not be talking trash about kickers anymore as uh, the kicker nearly upset the number one team in the country last week. On the season, Auburn is a running team. They've only got four passing touchdowns. They've got ten rushing touchdowns. Um, the The biggest problem Auburn's had so far this year is turnovers. They are minus nine in turnover margin so far this season. They fumbled the ball. Listen to what I'm about to say. Take a second. Slow this podcast down. Kirk, stop making it two times speed. Katie, you needed a shout-out. Here it is. Listen to what I'm about to say. Fifteen fumbles on the season. Auburn's only lost four of them. They fumbled the ball 15 times in five games. It doesn't take a math whiz to realize they're fumbling at three times per game. Georgia has got to be alert. They've got to take advantage of the mistakes that Auburn has been making all season long. They've fumbled 15 times. They've only lost four of them. They've thrown eight interceptions on the season, their quarterbacks have. Now, a lot of those were Finley, but still, This team does not protect the ball. This team is not very good on offense. You have to take care of the one thing they do well. We're going to talk about the keys to the game in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit about Georgia. Nobody is going to say that the performance last last week in Columbia was good. But it is a performance that by the end of the season you could look back and say, it was a character-building moment. It was a time for the team to kind of coalesce. They came back. They won a game they probably didn't deserve to win, frankly. And they were able to get the job done on the road in the SEC. Kirby has harped all week about the fact that that is not easy. Now, Georgia made it look pretty easy last week. Alabama makes it look easy a lot. Other teams in the SEC make it look easy. On the road at home, the SEC is a good conference, but let's be honest, Georgia was a lot better than they played last week, and they kept Missouri in that game. They made them believe way way longer than they should have. So Bennett's numbers are still really good, 70% completion percentage. He's over 1,500 yards, five touchdowns, only one pick. But it has been a lot different. It's been a lot more uh, difficult, Kent State and Missouri, the last couple of weeks. 
Milton is now the leading rusher, 44 carries, 271. Edwards, 37 carries, 202. McIntosh, 36 carries, 162. But McIntosh also has 22 catches and 237 yards receiving. Brock Bowers, 20 catches, 342. Two touchdowns. Lab McConkey, 20 catches, 266. Here's the thing. Georgia's offense had plenty of yards, had plenty of possessions, had plenty of first downs against Missouri. Georgia's offense turned the ball over, and they cannot do that. We talked about Auburn and their mistakes. Against Kent State, Georgia turned the ball over. So I've got three keys to the game. Number one is don't turn the ball over. Two fumbles lost at Missouri. One of them was Stetson getting hit or kind of an awkward play in the backfield where he there was some miscommunication between him and Dejon Edwards. Obviously, the first one happened when Milton had probably to the until he fumbled what was the best run of the entire season for the dogs, and then he gets it punched out from behind. Protect the ball. Take care of the ball. Two turnovers against Missouri, and they let them stay in that game. Three turnovers, two fumbles, and a pick. So three total turnovers against Kent State. Let them stay in that game longer than they needed to be in that game. Zero turnovers in the first three games of the season. When Georgia was Georgia, when Georgia beat the living daylights out of Oregon, when they stomped South Carolina on the road, Kirby didn't talk about how difficult it was to play on the road in Columbia that day. They absolutely murdered South Carolina. Zero turnovers. Georgia has to protect the ball. Auburn has shown a propensity to turn the ball over. Georgia cannot return the favor and keep them in this game any longer than they should be. Second key to the game, Georgia's got to overcome some injuries. Jalen Carter out. Smile Munden seems like he's going to be out. A.D. Mitchell probably not back yet. Arian Smith played a little bit last week, not all the way back yet. Georgia's not at 100%. It doesn't matter. Offense, defense, it doesn't matter. Key number two to this game is despite the injuries, you have to stop the run. Last week, something called a Cody Schrader carried the ball six times for 89 yards against Georgia. That's 14.8 yards per carry. This man averaged 14.8 yards per carry against Georgia's defense. I'm not sure Georgia gave up 89 yards rushing to any team last season. I didn't go check this. I'm just thinking. That is unacceptable. If Georgia plays run defense the way they did last week against whatever a Cody Schrader is, against Tank Bisbee this week, Tank Bisbee may run for 200 yards. They have to stop the run. Tank is the best running back in the SEC. He may be one of the best running backs in the country, and he is the only piece of talent on this Auburn team that is capable of keeping Auburn in this game. You stop Tank Bisbee, Auburn can't score. Zero. They will score nothing if you talk, stop Tank. The final key to the, the to the game. Stop the run. It's key number two. It's key number three. Stop the run. Georgia needs to return to its identity. We need to be able to figure out how to run the ball. Give me five offensive linemen that can block well enough in the pass game and run the dang ball. <laughs> Georgia's got to run the ball. Georgia's got to stop the run. Georgia's got to protect the ball. This is a simple game, football. Don't turn it over. Control the line of scrimmage. Win. Georgia needs a get-right game. Georgia needs to remind itself and the rest of the country who it is.
because the first one, that was an accident. Kent State, things happen. Last week, okay, you're on the road in SEC. We'll trust Kirby and just say that sometimes that happens. There's no excuses. Auburn is a team that should have lost two weeks ago at home against Missouri. They're a team that couldn't manage any scoring in the second half at home against LSU last week. They are not a good football team. Their program is in shambles. Murder them. Kill Brian Harson's time at Auburn. I want Georgia to beat Auburn so bad that Brian Harson is fired on Sunday. That's what I want to see. And that's what I think we're going to see. I think Georgia's going to remember who it is. They're going to come back. They're going to play the way they played against South Carolina and against Oregon. And they are going to end Brian Harson's tenure in Auburn. Dogs 52. Auburn seven because Tank is too good to keep him out of the end zone. He was the first man to score a touchdown on Georgia's defense last year. I think he gets one. But I think Georgia plays a much better game, reminds everybody, including themselves and the fan base, who they are. They get ready to play Vandy next week and then get ready for the bye week to head down to Jacksonville and slap some Gators around. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And as always, go dogs. 21, clock running, running. Oh, look at the sugar falling out of the sky. Look at the sugar falling out of the sky. Here comes a Georgia fan running out across the field in his red pants and breaks over to the dog fence. And now everybody's drawing three, two, one. And they're carrying Vince Dooley off the field.